enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited for today's episode is with Noah Drotti, as you know. I don't have professional runners on the show unless we feel like there's something that they can bring to the table that will affect dedicated amateur runners just like you. Now, don't get me wrong. I love hearing about professional runners. I just love hearing about professional athletes. Generally speaking, I'm a huge fan, but that's just not my lane. I usually don't interview professional athletes. Um, if you want more of that, you can just head over to, you know, Carrie's podcast or Lindsay's podcast or Allie's podcast or Mario's. There's a whole bunch of people who interview these people on the regular. And I love listening to those episodes. However, I usually don't do that, but I was really excited to get Noah Drotty on the episode because He's someone who has an atypical running background for somebody who runs at his level. By his level, I mean one of the top 10 marathoners all time in American history. That's right. This guy went, this guy ran at Division Three DePaul, which is you know, a high quality Division Three program, but a Division Three program nonetheless. He was the kind of guy who wasn't the best runner in his state. He wasn't even the best runner in Division Three when he was in Division Three. And here he is, an all time great in the marathon. And what a journey that is. And what in, you know, what can we learn from someone who's done that? That was the whole point of the episode. And I'm so excited to have him on. In addition, at the end, we talk about a new entrepreneurial venture that he has uh, with Pure, which is something that's very different from what you normally see from professional athletes in terms of how they how they raise income um, while they're still participating in sports, right? You see sometimes when folks retire, then they get into the business world. That's a little bit more typical. But him, uh, Emily Sisson, and Scott Fauble have all are all working together with Pure. That's Pure with a W. It's P-W-U-R-E. Uh, and hey, go check them out. Actually, he gave us a code to use NOAA15. NOAA15 at checkout to save 15% on an order. Um, so anyway, go check that out. But this is all about Noah and what he's done to be where he's at and what we can learn from that journey. So let's get into it with Noah Drotty. Hello, Noah Drotty, and welcome to the show. Hi, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. You're a runner that so many of my listeners have recommended come on the show and you know, have been pestering me like, hey, when are you going to ask Noah? And I'm <laughs> so excited to get you on the show, um, not only because of what you've done as a runner, but hey, man, you have the the D3 Glory Days podcast as a D3 athlete and former coach. Like It like tugs at my heartstrings that you guys put <laughs> this show on. So I'm so pumped. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it all. Now, that is really cool. Now, Again, we'll talk about all the running stuff. And as I mentioned in the intro, like when I have a pro runner on on this podcast specifically, obviously we have Road to the Trials, which is a completely separate thing. But on the Rambling Runner, it's because this pro runner has gone through certain things in their life that is it makes them positively predisposed to helping dedicate amateur runners in a real tangible way. And we're going to touch on a lot of that uh, in this one. Now, before we do, as a podcast guy, I got to ask, are you able to keep up with D3 running? Like, I feel like, you know, following running, especially at the college level, um, you really have to do, you have to be very proactive, right? This isn't something that's just going to like come across your Apple iPod. <laughs> I mean, your Apple iPod, your, your, your iPad or your iPhone, um, just simply by like, by signing in. So how proactive are you about trying to figure out all the storylines and what's going on and all the athletes? Cause it can, it feels like it can be pretty difficult. Yeah, I'm slowly becoming more proactive. Um, you know, we're 40 some episodes into D3 Glory Days at this point, and it really started out telling stories, um, mostly of former athletes and current coaches and stuff. So not necessarily storylines that were developing in real time, but more so trying to focus on, you know, some great storylines that had already happened. Um, now that we're a couple years older, we're starting to get more into, uh, you know, not live coverage, obviously, but more up-to-date coverage. And so we're interviewing more current athletes. And, you know, my co-host Stu Newstad does a really great job with keeping up with the division. He was an assistant coach at a few schools. Um, and so, yeah, he keeps really close tabs on it and inspires me to, to, you know, keep a close eye on these guys too. And 
So yeah, I've been forging new Division Three connections. We have a couple D three kids out here training with us right now in Boulder, and so it's been fun to reconnect with those roots. But yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you can go as deep as you want to with it. So you know, I, I'm trying to give it adequate attention without overdoing it. Yeah, I mean, as someone who interviews dedicated amateur runners on a consistent basis, usually people I talk to, this is their first time being interviewed for anything. I got to imagine that you must be in a similar boat talking to these folks who usually aren't either on a podcast or being interviewed by any media. Yeah, it is really interesting to finally shine a spotlight on a lot of people who have deserved it for a long time, but just haven't been given it. And, you know, we we have talked to some seasoned vets like Will Lear, who was our first episode. And, you know, he's obviously a fantastic runner. But yeah, for the most part, they're people who, you know, no one has ever expressed interest in their stories before, but they're really incredible stories. And so um, I think when you do that, you kind of have this experience of reliving their fondest memories and even tough memories too, like right along with them. Um, You know, I've noticed some guests probably haven't really processed a lot of the things that happened in their career until we asked about it. And so I think we, we get some fun moments that way. Oh, I can imagine. Right. Because it's so easy to be, you know, think about your, your college career in terms of what happened in that moment, in that silo without having the broader perspective, even if you follow sports generally, it's so easy when we think about our own life to have it, you know, particularly like siloed in the, in that like hermetically sealed little environment um, and not seeing not simply like how it interacts or the interplay between other people who we are running against or whatever. But just generally, if we're doing something amazing and I say we not me personally, this is more a universal <laughs> we in this perspective, um, how it, how other people may want to you know discuss that or be interested in it because it really can be when you're in college, um, especially, you know, you went to DePaul and. I went to Vassar College and you're in like this low key D3 college environment, like the outer world. is like so far afield from um, your awareness at that point. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing about Division three is that, you know, a lot of people think it's really small and nobody really cares. But Division three is actually huge. I mean, there's over 400 Division three schools. And so. I think we found with our podcast that, you know, there actually are a lot of people out there who are interested in what Division Three athletes have to say. Um, It's just that no one's been asking. No, that's a great point. And I think the one thing that is interesting about D3 athletes, um, and not for every sport, but, you know, especially with certain sports, is because there isn't a scholarship tied to someone's involvement, is that you really have to be passionate about that sport to continue to improve and stay with it all four years and to really try to get the most out of yourself. Because even at like, even if you're at Williams college or, you know, name, you know, name a D3 school that's doing very well in certain sports, right? You know, the, the Wisconsin schools are, are excellent. This, the, the state schools where you might get a certain amount of fans, like more for most people, their fans in high school will outpace the fandom at their college in terms of um, the people attending their games and all of that, which is interesting because like the the level of competition is such a huge step up and yet it's so hard. And I know you experienced this as well of like, it's so hard for athletes to just commit to the full four years because there are so many things pulling on their time. There are so many interests that can then come their way in college. And especially if someone's experiencing an injury or if it's a ball sport, like lack of playing time, the drive to compete all four years can really be a tough sledding, but also because of that can really make something or somebody, you know, particularly special if they can stick with it. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a high, you know, attrition rate. You know, I I think a lot of, you know, my former teammates and athletes of, and probably all sports got there and realized like, Hey, really the only reason to continue doing this is if I love to do it. And when they asked themselves that question, maybe they realized they didn't love it and they found something else to do. Um, but if you did make it all four years, um, you know, like I did, you know, I looked back on it and be like, wow, you know, I accomplished a lot in running and I grew a lot as a runner. And really the only reason I kept doing it is because I love to do it, which really carried over into my, you know, post-collegiate and professional career. So yeah, there are, they're definitely valuable skills, but you know, also the level of competition is high if you commit to it. I mean, I never won a national championship in college, um, I won plenty of smaller races, but, you know, I wasn't like the best guy in the country by any means. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. Um, So when you were 
Let's go back to your senior year of high school. During the recruiting process, talk to me about what that was like in terms of, you know, you being recruited versus you proactively reaching out to certain programs. Yeah, I mean, I was only, you know, quote unquote, being recruited by schools I had applied to. And so just a, a quick back, a quick uh, background, because I think it's important to my college search. I, I got a I was awarded a scholarship through Eli Lilly. I'm from Indiana. That enabled me to go to any Indiana college or university tuition free, but only Indiana institutions. And so, you know, that narrowed my search to Indiana. Obviously, um, you know, I was a fine high school runner, but I was not a division one type talent. And so I wasn't being recruited by any division ones. Um, so D3. And that's interesting too. I'm going to jump in there because it's such an interesting thing because like you were potentially would be a, an extra scholarship runner at a division one school. Like they wouldn't even have to give you a scholarship. They could just say, Hey, you're on the team and that scholarship's already paid for like win-win. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't have any scholarship opportunities um, or, you know, I didn't have a spot made available to me on a team um, athletic scholarship, I mean. And so that really made D3 is kind of the only option if I wanted to continue um, athletics, which at that point I thought I did. Um, and just through process of elimination, you know, I talked to several Division three head coaches and just kind of ended up at DePaul, I guess. It, I, I hand wrote the application, which that was probably like the last handwritten application in history. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, at that moment, when you wrote that, I was actually working in an admissions office at a D3 school. And I can testify to that fact that we did not get many handwritten applications. Yeah, you would have shredded it. And it was the only it was the only one I hand wrote because I really didn't want to go there. I didn't think it was the place for me. Um, but just, you know, as I got to know the school better, I got into nine different schools and somehow whittled away eight of them to end up there. It was kind of a weird thing. All right. And I know this is like really getting into the weeds, but what made you want to run in college? Like, was that ever a choice for you or was that? pretty much a given when you started the process? Um, I went through most of my high school career not not planning to run in college because I didn't even know that was a possibility. Um, my primary passion in high school was music. I, I played in a band, um, that a, a serious band. You know, we were playing out, you know, one, one to three times every week. Like that was my main thing. And running was just kind of something I did after school. Um, my junior year of high school, the my friend and lead singer in that band passed away. And so the band uh, disbanded really at the end of that year and kind of left me with a void of, you know, some, you know, looking for the next thing I was passionate about. And as that was happening, I was improving and running and starting to be competitive and kind of fell in love with that process. My high school coach was a former Division three athlete, a former DePaul athlete. And kind of put Division Three on my radar as like, hey, here's a, a chance for you to continue competing in college if you want to. And so it really wasn't until late in my senior year that I even knew about that avenue, that on-ramp to continue competitive running. And, uh, you know, I kind of latched onto it because I was looking for something to latch onto. Losing a close friend in high school is an extremely rare thing. Um, and I can't even imagine it. Um, you know, happening to me and thinking about my close friends uh, during that period in my life. Do you think that running or or maybe maybe it's just other things? What, what helped you get through that period of time? Because I think especially at that young age, I mean, it's, it'll be difficult at any age. But that's such a form. Those are such formative years. Um, what helped you get through that? Because I can only imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah, I mean, it's not something you ever get totally through, you know, even now almost 15 years later, uh, it's still hard. Um, but you know, running was one of those things that kind of occupied my time. I mean, I, you know, I'm not looking back at it now. I'm not sure I dealt with it in a healthy way. Like I didn't have any professional help or anything. I was just getting through it with my friends. Um, and yeah, running was one of those things that just kind of passed the time, um, which sometimes in grief just putting time in is all you can do. And so, yeah, running was definitely one of those things, but it really, it became the thing. It became my thing. Um, Cause I, you know, music was my thing. It was taken away. And then I was looking for what was next and that became running. And 
you know, that has kind of defined the rest of my life, really. Yeah, for sure. And, and when you think back to those that that period in time in your life, and I'm, and I'm lingering here for a reason, and, and we'll get to it why in, in a little bit. But when you think back to that period of time, what about running drew you in? And by that, I mean, you know, there's certain people who get drawn to a sport because they're successful at it. Right. Like, hey, well, I'm, I'm good at this sport. I guess I'll stick with it. Or maybe there's certain characteristics of a sport or maybe their friends were in it. And then it kind of built them up um, along the way. What about running in particular kept you not only in it, but wanting to, you know, you know, continue with it year after year and continue to improve? I mean, yeah, there's definitely that element of being successful at something. And I was just starting to get a taste of that success. I was seeing my, you know, PBs come down really quickly. I was starting to be competitive in races and, you know, that, that feels re really good um, to kind of, you know, in high school, I was starting to be known as like the running guy. And, you know, that was, it's nice to have an identity, especially when you're that age. But I think on a, on a, you know, bigger level, I was starting to fall in love with that process that all runners know where, you know, when you put in work, you see re tangible results on the other side. And it's the only thing I've ever found um, in my life like that, where, you know, you build up a huge body of work and, you know, it shows itself in a very concrete and tangible way and the results of your races or whatever, and just, you know, the physical transformations in your body. And so I, I think I, I was really starting to discover what training can do, <laughs> you know, and I was starting to fall in love with the, the outcome of that. And when you were training back then, was this something that was a solo endeavor for you? Obviously, if you were running with your cross-country team, then maybe there's a, certainly a social aspect to that. But if you were running, um, I guess, outside of the cross-country season, um, and then maybe, who knows, I guess, I guess it depends on what, 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 what track events you were doing. Was this a solo venture for you, or was it much more social than that? Um, I, I did have a team, uh, cross-country and track team. It was a small team. We only fielded you know, a full five man roster, I think two out of the four years and in high school. And I was definitely the one who took it the most seriously. Um, every year I was there and, you know, outside of, outside of my, you know, running life, my other friends, uh, were not runners, um, aren't runners. And so they, they didn't necessarily get it, but, you know, I wasn't training at a super high level. And so I could come to practice, you know, three to five days a week, run three or four miles and and call it good and be pretty content with that at that time in my life. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there were, were definitely some solo miles, but I wasn't really doing enough that it, you know, the solo time was a, a sacrifice, I guess. Right. And I remember you saying this on other podcasts as well. And I found that to be very interesting in terms of the time commitment, because it made me wonder that if you had, just again, this is all just random stuff. But if you had lived in a town, like say you're like Fayetteville Manlius, right? In in upstate New York, where you know the cross country team is loaded and they have a book written about them and the kids are running sixty-five mile weeks for extended periods of time and, and all of that, do you think that you would have um thrived in that situation, or do you think that might have been more of like, you know, the other side of the magnet and like pushed you away instead of pulling you in? Hard to tell, you know, um, I definitely wasn't like a running nerd or whatever at that time in my life. Um, I'm not sure I identified or would have identified with a culture like that. I mean, for me, practice was, I, it was just what I did after school, the same way I played basketball or whatever. Uh, I'd, I'd go for an hour or two and then, you know, my, my senior year, I was going straight to work after and, it, it, it was just one thing I did in a day. Um, but I, I do think back on it a lot. And it's like, yeah, if I was in that structured training system and it was my only focus, like, would I have been a lot better in high school? Like, yeah, probably. Would I have gotten a D1 offer? Like, maybe. But would I be, you know, 30 years old and still as passionate about running as I am now? Like, that's a big question mark for me. Um so I, I think my career has kind of played out that, you know, I've been playing a long game, you know, like <laughs> I've developed in, into my mid and late 20s. And now at 30, like I'm continuing to get better. I'm continuing to do more. But if I was running 80 miles a week in high school, I'm not sure that passion would still be there. 
Hey folks, the VCU Health Richmond Marathon returns to downtown Richmond, Virginia on Saturday, November 13th. Whether you take part in the marathon, the CarMax Richmond Half Marathon, or the Allianz Partners 8K, Richmond provides phenomenal core support, great fall scenery, and awesome finisher swag. In the marathon, you'll run through scenic sections of Richmond along the beautiful James River. The marathon is a top 25 Boston qualifier, and the course is mostly flat with some rolling hills. You kind of want that rolling hills. You know, those are nice because you start using different muscles instead of it being perfectly flat. Um, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. This, that's not in their ad copy, but I think it is important to know that, uh, which is all great for first-timers. And best of all, there's a downhill finish right on the riverfront. The VCU Health Richmond Marathon organizers know the running community is resilient and that your desire to cross the finish line remains strong. They've proven their ability to create an experience tailor-made to fit the needs of all runners. Your safety and the safety of the community are their top priorities. To be a part of America's friendliest marathon, visit www.richmondmarathon.org to register now. And to be sure to beat the July 1st price increase. That's right. July 1st price increases go up, I think, $15. So, hey, if you're going to run it, sign up now. You might as well, right? So come discover the River City and cross the finish line this November. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate plate.com entering code rambling runner 179 today that's up to a hundred and four dollar value our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking athletic greens because i heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics people like rich roll and tim ferris who used it all the time and I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should, too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence. Uh, but it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Right, and then when you went to DePaul, your first cross-country season 
goes well. And I heard you on your own podcast talking about how, and this is anyone who's played D3 sports knows exactly what this feels like. And you talked about how like just the commitment level with some guys wasn't the same as with other guys and, and things like that. And that's just, that's just part and parcel with being a D3 athlete. And that's just, that's the way it goes. And, and then, you know, you're in that situation where all of a sudden you're getting more reps at, you know, as a team leader, even as a freshman, than you would even imagine coming into the season with, and then you get hurt, you have a hip injury and, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where so many college freshmen are, where their freshman year experience isn't quite what they expected. Obviously, for for you, part of this is just the dumb luck of injuries, and you're considering transferring. You start filling out transfer forms to go to different schools. Not only why did you end up staying at DePaul, but why at that point did running stay in your life? Yeah, I'm not. It, it was a difficult time for me to be at the pause. Not only was I injured and missing out on running, but the pause, a heavily Greek school. I chose not to rush the Greek system and all my friends did. And so I felt very isolated in that way, too. And so I was really questioning if that place was if it was for me. But, you know, to be totally honest, I think just the whole process of transferring was probably enough for me to just like drag my feet long enough to the point where I had to stick it out. <laughs> at the ball, um, out of pure laziness, if nothing else. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm really glad I did because I had a, I had a great, um, I had a great time at DePaul. Like I really value the four years I spent there, um, with running it, you know, it was, it was more just like, yeah, this injury sucks, but like it, it didn't really shake my long-term commitment to running, you know, in the short term, I wasn't thinking of myself as a runner. I was, you know, doing other things. I with, you know, I was just basically had the mentality of like, okay, I'm going to check out until this injury is better. And when I feel my body feels good again, like I'll flip the switch again and be a runner. Um, but I always planned on coming back to running and it just so happened that injury took forever, forever to heal. Um, but when it finally did, you know, I was really excited to go for a run again. And is that the, is that around the time where you started self-identifying as a runner, as opposed to running is something that I do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think once I got to campus at DePaul and especially when I didn't join a fraternity, um, which is how a lot of people there identified first as like a member of their fraternity. I identified first as a member of the cross country team. Um, and especially as I became a varsity runner and became started to have some individual success too, um, that, yeah, that was my primary identity. I definitely did stuff outside of running. I hosted a radio show, um, starting my freshman year and stuff like that. I had friends who were non-runners. Um, but yeah, that was my thing. And that was, that's kind of where I decided to put most of my energy and where I was most committed to excelling. Yeah. Excelling at sports at a D3 school can be tough because, Again, feel free to correct me here or, 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 or to chime in. But I feel like part of it is because it's kind of done in a sense of like you're on your own because the things that need to be done to excel in athletics at times can be antithetical to the college experience, right? You need sleep and rest, right? You need to fuel properly. Again, I'm not saying that like you were perfect on these ends. I have no idea. But I mean, yeah. like, it, it, ultimately, in order to, 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 to do very well in athletics, you have to live a life probably different, sometimes significantly different than your college friends who were not runners. So what was that like for you? Because so many people who are listening to this have a situation where maybe, you know, they have young kids, they have a 40, 40 or 50 hour a week job that they're trying to balance, right? They have other commitments and yet they want to be a runner and they want to figure out ways where they can commit to something that they love under the guise of, I have all these things pulling at me or people wanting me to do things that might hamper the goals that I have in athletics. Yeah. I mean, learning those skills of balance and lifestyle really came into my life much later. Um, you know, in early in college and even later in college, I was definitely not a role model for someone, you know, balancing their time well or living a Spartan lifestyle, you know, in service to my running. 
Um, I mean, listen, I had a really low bar coming out of high school. Like I hadn't been training a whole lot. Like I, I didn't have to do much to get better in college. I was dedicated to it, but um, it wasn't my only focus the way it turned into, you know, after college. And that's when I really had to learn how to juggle work and running and social life in college. I kind of tried to do everything. Um, I tried to maintain an active social life and still run. Um, and if I wasn't maximizing my potential, that was okay. As long as I continued to get a little better. And when you put it in perspective of like, okay, now like you're a two Oh nine, nine marathoner who has a top 10 marathon time, um, in the U S history on courses that aren't wind aided and so on and so forth. That's in, that's an unbelievable accomplishment It is truly the definition of historic. And when you think back to that period in time and looking back at how you viewed yourself as a runner compared to your peers, did you have any inkling that you had that kind of potential within you? No, (laughs) no, not at all. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I thought making the national meet was pretty cool, you know, and uh, yeah, no, there's no way I could have predicted that. I I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about running after college until after I graduated. So no, but I knew I could be better um, than I I knew I could be better than who I was that particular day or that particular year. Um, But there was no way of knowing where the potential ended, which is the reason I'm still running now is because, you know, you just never know where the outer limit is, but I I couldn't have imagined, uh, I couldn't have imagined it back then at all. You referenced the end of your your freshman year when you said, "Hey, I have I have um, I have long term goals that I want to get to." When did those long term goals go past senior year at DePaul? Um, after senior year at DePaul, <laughs> <You know>, I, <laughs> I I I graduated and had a very similar mindset that I did when I was finishing up high school, where I was just like, "Okay, running was great, you know, but that chapter of my life is kind of done." Um. And so I kind of decided I should try to get a job or whatever. And so I did internships and, you know, just kind of bounced around. And I didn't really know that post-collegiate running was a thing for people like me who were good in college, but not, you know, D1 superstars. Um, And so it was really a gradual process over, you know, basically two years of me kind of just not finding what it was I was really passionate about and always coming back to running as being the thing that I thought, you know, um, was kind of my gift. I'm I'm not a religious man, but the thing that I thought was like my thing was running. And I started to wonder if I had really seen it all the way through. I wondered if I had really gotten as good as I could get. And the answer I came up with was no. And so um, I decided to do what I was passionate about. And then I started looking for avenues to do that, which is how I ended up uh, out here in Boulder. But, you know, it was a slow process. I, I didn't I didn't jump on it right after I graduated. When you made that move to Boulder and you decided, all right, I'm not at my peak and there's more here and I'm going to find out what that is. Were you aware of what it would take from just the lifestyle that, you know, your peers or your future peers uh, were living in order to get the best out of themselves? Um, No, I I don't think I understand what it took. I didn't understand how hard the training was. I didn't understand the volume of training that people were doing. And I, I didn't understand, you know, yeah, the lifestyle that you need to live to accommodate that kind of output. Um, But um, I was prepared to do it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as I got out here and, and realized what the training load was, I made pretty quick adjustments and, you know, it, it was pretty easy for me. You know, I was living in a new place. I didn't have a lot of strong social ties here. There weren't, you know, nobody was calling me to go out <clears throat> to the bars every night or whatever, you know, and so I could, I could get plenty of rest and, I could get my training in and I just decided like, Hey, I moved out here to do this thing, you know? And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And so I was still, you know, having fun from time to time, but I found a lot of joy in kind of living um, a lifestyle that was tailored to achieving my best in running. And in that effort to get the best out of yourself, you were able to see 
you know, the best people in running in the world, right? You've, you've run against the best runners in the world. You've seen people close up in, uh, in Boulder where you live and, you know, at races from, from people all over. And as you be able to gain experience now and you're, you know, you know, almost a decade out of college and you have had these, all these experiences, how has your definition of talent changed from where it was maybe when you were 18 years old? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one thing I realized is that the talent doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, some of the, you know, now where I am, you know, I was never the most, nobody would have called me the most talented guy in high school and college. But the fact that I've been willing to do it for 15 years consistently has made me one of the best. Um, and I think it's like that for a lot of my competitors. You look around and you look and sure, they come from what most people would call, you know, highly successful backgrounds, but they were never, you know, a lot of the national champions and stuff aren't really around anymore. Um, it's guys who were top 10, top 15, top 20, who just loved it and decided to keep doing it long enough to finally break into that super elite level. And so, yeah, you're never going to get by on just talent. It's a mix of, you know, it's it's dedication and perseverance. It's really perseverance more than anything. I think it was David Roche who I had on the show, who's a, a prominent coach of a, of a lot of high level runners and, and amateur runners as well. Um, I think it was about a year ago we were on and we were talking about, I forget the exact topic, but it came out that like we were, when we were discussing the, um, I think it was the marathon Olympic trials of like, it's not news when a small school runner makes the Olympic trials or does well at the Olympic trials for the marathon. It almost is news when you see like a high level college runner do well at the marathon Olympic trials. Like that almost is more newsworthy than like the small school guy. And there's so many different reasons for that. And we're not going to get into the myriad reasons here, and, and but it's, it's interesting when you consider the fact that you just mentioned like perseverance was the first thing that came out of your mouth in terms of like, you know, why you think that you were able to do this with that said, a lot of people have been running for a long time. Are there other differentiators in terms of stuff that you've been able to do or stuff that you've learned along the way that have enabled you to get the most out of your talent and put yourself in a place where you're historically one of the best marathoners that America's ever had. And it's an incredible accomplishment. And yet you're on this show saying, yeah, I'm not that talented. Well, obviously you're, you're talented enough, but what are some of the things that you're doing that we can learn from and put that into our own training in our own lives? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think, a big part of it is that I've been really selfish with my time and energy over the last few years. And I've had to channel a lot of myself into my running, like often at the detriment of other things. And, you know, the more I think about it, it's not necessarily something I'm proud of, but it's allowed me to get, you know, what I need to be a great runner, which is adequate rest and, you know, channeling my emotions into distance running performance and workouts. And so that, that has been kind of the key to my success over the last few years. And I think now at this point in my life, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can I continue to be really successful at running, but not be as selfish with my time and energy? Like I'm still seeking to try to find that balance, um, kind of the balance that I had back when I first started, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find that again. And so, yeah, I'm not sure if that really answers your question. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the answer. Tell me more about when you said that you want, you're putting in all, putting all your emotion into your workouts. What does that mean exactly? Um, it kind of means that my world has revolved around that, that few hours every morning um, where you know, the level of work I'm doing in practice to achieve the level of results I have is, it's pretty consuming. Like it's extremely difficult, you know, and I'm running 110, 115 miles a week, you know, when you're putting that kind of energy into one thing, into one craft, you often don't have much for anything else. Um, and, and everything you do outside of that time you're running has to be geared towards, you know, achieving the best results in those training sessions. And so that's, 
being lazy during the day. It's like taking a nap every day. It's getting plenty of sleep. It's eating right. It's like, you know, maybe not going to meet your friends for a beer because like you've got a hard run the next day. And so those are decisions that I've made over the last few years that I, you know, those weren't decisions I was making early on in my running career. And when you're putting that kind of attention to your workouts and making sure that you're completely dialed in from a lifestyle perspective, how are you able to maintain the right kind of mentality and emotions around your running when, you know, say a workout goes really well and you want to stay, you know, low key about it or the other way, things didn't go well and you don't want it necessarily to submarine your entire life. How are you able to involve all of your emotions into this endeavor and yet not be at the whims of what's happening in the short term? Yeah, I've always really looked at it as a long-term cumulative process, you know, and so I've been able to roll, you know, bad workouts off pretty easily because I can look at my training block of three months and be like, well, you know, I had 10 really good weeks. Um, and if I had a bad workout, it's not really a big deal. And so I've always been able to, to handle kind of the ebbs and flows of training really well. Um, you know, races are a different story because it's much harder to brush off a bad race, you know, when that was your big goal or whatever. Um, but in training, yeah, it's just like, I, I don't look at any training cycle as hinging on any particular day or any particular workout. It's really a cumulative effort over months and years. Yeah, there are so many people listening to this who, if they have a bad workout, and again, even myself, I've been here so many times, where a bad workout, you feel like, oh my gosh, what is happening? It feels like the confidence is now at, you know, below your ankles. You're like, you're shattered. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to do four by a mile at threshold pace. I couldn't even hold it. What does this mean? And you're looking for these underlying reasons, right? As opposed to like when a workout goes well and it's like, yeah, it went well. And you almost, it's easier to brush it off and be like, all right, well, yeah, well, that's because I'm fit. I'm moving on now. And it's so much easier to focus on the negative when the negative pops up. Is this something that you've always been able to handle well, or have you done things over time to put you in this position? I mean, no one's happy to have a bad workout. I'm never like, it's like, you know, like <laughs> right, right. I wouldn't never, feel like, I wouldn't yeah. expect that. Like you're running with Frank, Laura, and he's like, see yeah. you later, dude, dust you on like, you know, a threshold workout. Like I'm not expecting you to be like, Hey man, we're cool. No worries. I'm just going to change my shoes now. I mean, no, that does happen. That happens frequently, you know, where one of my teammates uh, has a better workout than me, but you know, I'm happy for him. And, but I also, in the back of my head, I know like, Oh, three days ago, I had a really good workout. Like I must just be kind of tired today. Um, you know, and it, it's usually pretty <laughs> explainable that way. And even when I have a bad workout, um, especially now that the marathon is my main event, you know, I can have a bad workout and still end up around marathon pace. And so I can still be like, Oh, you know, well, at least I, I ran hard and I got my heart rate up and, and that's enough. Like, it's not like I got any worse at running today. I just didn't have a perfect day. Um, and so I try to have a pretty short memory with training sessions and cause you know, there's always a workout coming again in two or three days. And so it's always been pretty easy for me to shift away from that. You know, I, I don't, you know, win every workout I do with my team, you know, there's plenty of times where, you know, I get dusted by somebody having a great day and I'm just like, okay, they had a great day. I had an okay day, you know, let's cool down together and have fun. No, absolutely. And you, know, you live in one of the epicenters of American distance running in Boulder. And with that being the case and also running, being your full-time profession, what's it like for you not having other people's performances or training or workout or just the social aspect of living in a place with so many elite endurance athletes. It doesn't have to be runners necessarily. And having that not kind of engulf your life where it's always, you know, ever present in terms of what other people are doing and then coming back to what you're doing as an athlete in terms of not only, you know, maybe the times in a workout, but just, you know, your commitment level or how much time and effort you're putting into it or, you know, future casting into what you hope to do. Yeah, that that is difficult. And that's kind of been a process because you always want to, you know, you always want to be a contributing member to the, you know, a culture <laughs> like this. You want to, there's a, cause you know, it's, there's always a spectrum, right? There's going to be um, men and women who are, 
who live in town who are qualifying for the Olympic Games, you know, Jake Riley, uh, whatever. There's And then all the way down the spectrum of success, there's going to be, you know, elite athletes who here who are just coming off a surgery and are just happy to get out the door for a one mile run because they haven't been able to do it pain free in so long. And so there, there's that huge spectrum. And I mean, Jake Riley is a good example. He just made the Olympic team in February, but you know, you look back a couple of years and he had just gotten surgery and thought his career was over. And so I think one understanding it's a spectrum and that your place in that spectrum is going to ebb and flow over time. Sometimes you're going to be the guy and sometimes you're going to be just, you know, at the other end and kind of devastated. And so, yeah, just understanding the spectrum and then just understanding the cyclical nature of running. You know, everyone is going to have periods of success when things are going really well and it feels easy and the results are coming. But then also every every runner is going to experience um, ebbs in their trajectory. They're going to they're going to be injured. Injuries are a given in running. It's going to happen. You're going to have periods of burnout. You're going to have periods of low motivation. And so I think, yeah, understanding those two things um, makes it easier to live in an environment like this because, you know, it's wherever you are in your running journey at that particular moment. It's it's normal. Wow. No, that was really powerful. Um, <laughs> that was that was really impressive. Uh, what you just said, it makes me think earlier in this conversation when you mentioned, like, I'm not a real big religious guy and so on and so forth. But that had a lot of, like, that had some tinges of, like, Eastern thought and some Buddhism in there. And, it, it, again, I'm not saying that, that that's actually part of your mindset. But who are some of the individuals that you've learned from in terms of how to approach, you know, being a better person, being a balanced person, being a high achiever in whatever areas of your life you're you're trying to do. Like, what are, who are some of the people that you've learned from? Because it seems like you are, I don't know, chock full of wisdom, man. Like, it's really impressive to hear. And I'm wondering, um, you know, who are some people you've learned from in a way that people are learning from you right now? That's a good question. I mean, some of my mentors in running. Um, you know, over the last few years have been guys like Jared Ward, um, Ben True, um, Scott Fobble, guys like that. Um, but, you know, more so, it's just I've had interactions with a lot of runners over the last 15 years. And you learn something from from every single one of them, whether they're competitive athletes. But I also have a lot of interactions with just kind of everyday runners and everyday joggers who I've learned I've learned plenty from in terms of perseverance and their ability to make running a part of their lives um, that are otherwise extremely busy and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a lot of names for you. It's just it's more felt like a cumulative effect from kind of a life spent in running. And not only is your life spent running uh, is about all the things you've done, um, you know, on the roads and earlier in your life on the track, but also now you're involved in kind of an entrepreneurial venture. So tell me, walk me through that because um, that seems like a pretty novel project. And it's one uh, that I'm excited to learn about because it, it does seem like it's a, it's a pretty unique thing for someone who's currently involved in running to be doing something along these lines. Yeah. And so over the last, um, over the last six months or so, um, I've been involved with a company called Pure, P-W-U-R-E, um, that does customized sports nutrition. They have a pre-workout and a post-workout product. And so anyway, I was approached kind of late last year. Um, they were looking to add some athletes to their to their company before it launched, but they weren't really looking to pursue the traditional sponsorship model, which is like, hey, we're going to give you x number of dollars and you're going to put your logo on our on your chest and you know just kind of you know the way that most people understand sponsorship this is a little bit different and that you know i was given a chance to um invest in the company so actually you know there was no money you, you, know, you gave them money, money. <laughs> yeah and so um and so it was a little bit of a a non-traditional sponsorship deal um but it's been a lot of fun because I definitely feel like, you know, I'm more tied to the um, to the outcome where other sponsors I've had. It's been 
I've been happy to take their money and I want them to succeed and I believed in the products, but like ultimately, you know, how many shoes they sell or whatever doesn't affect, you know, my bottom line, I guess. Whereas with pure, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't made any money from it. You know, I'm, I'm tied to ensuring that the company is successful and grows. And so, you know, I, it's not like I have much say in, into day-to-day operations or anything, but, you know, it's been fun to be a resource for them as somebody who has used a lot of those products over the years and, and knows quite a bit about the running industry at this point that I can be, you know, a resource for them and, you know, kind of try to grow it together. Yeah. And is this something that you had envisioned before in terms of being an active participant in a business like this? Um, it's not something I had spent a whole lot of time thinking about. No, but, you know, once I was introduced to the concept of, of an equity sponsorship, um, it made a lot of sense to me. You know, it, it felt like a fun way to really, like I said, be tied directly to the su- success of something and not just feel like, you know, kind of a hired gun or a mercenary, which I've been um, for companies in the past. Um, this felt like a, a fun way to build an authentic relationship. Right. And you're not the only one doing it. No. Uh, yeah. Scott Fobble and Emily Sisson um, also signed on to kind of complete the professional athlete. I'm doing that in quotes um, roster. And uh, yeah, so we all kind of play a similar role um, in the company, which is fun. And yeah, uh, you know, Scott and I are buddies, so it's kind of fun to do it together. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when um, Jesse Thomas and Lauren Fleshman started Picky Bars when they were still active. Obviously, it's a little different, right? Because they, <laughs> Lauren was literally making them in her kitchen um, as opposed to like, you know, you messing with cacao powder, like in Boulder and trying to figure out what, what formulation to make. Um <laughs> But it, it does feel similar because you're talking about this happening while you're still an athlete as opposed to saying, hey, this is something I'll do when I'm done with athletics, when I can really devote my time to it and go from there. So in terms of when you buy it, literally buying into this company, right, you didn't you're not getting paid by them from the outset, as you mentioned. So when you're making that kind of investment, not only with your capital, but also with your time and with your name, what are some of the things that you're considering in terms of um, what the company needs to be about, its effectiveness, and all the things that you um, were kind of weighing in your mind before deciding to pull the trigger? Yeah, I mean, I loved the concept of personalized nutrition and, you know, customizing formulas based on runners' needs and energy output. Um, you know, that in my mind immediately separated it from a lot of nutrition companies who have approached me in the past to do, you know, sponsorship deals. I thought that was really unique. Um, I spent some time talking to, uh, the founder and creator, Hadrian, and I just really loved his message and loved his enthusiasm. I mean, he, he is, you know, not an elite athlete. He just loves running. And, and so he wanted to put his skills to the test in creating a company like this. And I thought that was really awesome. Um, but yeah, and so I, I love the angle it's coming from. I want it to be accessible to athletes and I want people to learn, um, you know, there are small things you can do to have an outsized benefit to your performance. And it doesn't matter what level you're running at, you can still take good care of your body and get the most out of it. And I feel like this is just one of those things um, that you can add to your routine to do that. Yeah, for sure. And what has been your evolution in terms of what you need to do from a diet perspective, not just like generally like, all right, eating throughout the day, but more fueling for your stronger efforts, your quality sessions, your long runs and things like that. Like you talk about individualized nutrition. What are the things that are important to you that you've seen have made a difference in your own performance? Well, for me personally, it's always been a battle to take in enough um, to make sure my system is adequately fueled. Um, you know, I've never felt like a, a big eater. I don't typically have a big appetite, but I think I had to learn that, you know, with the energy output I'm using, I really have to be conscious of refueling my body in kind of a systematic way. And so it's not, I don't have, have any particular diet that I follow, you know, there's no, I'm not weighing anything. I'm not doing anything like that, but I think I'm just focused on trying to eat as much, you know, good quality food and kind of a well-rounded way as I 
possibly can and that that benefits my running in a really direct way. And so, yeah, some of those things are small, like having a post-workout shake immediately after the effort. But it's also like, you know, making sure I have a full lunch or like I'm eating a quality dinner. Um, whereas, you know, my younger days, I probably would have kind of blown that stuff off. Right. And especially for someone like you, because so many of your competitors are doing the same things that you are. I can imagine the what you're doing at the margins making all the difference because for 95 percent of the stuff, all your competitors are doing the same thing that you are. Yeah, I, I don't fixate so much on what my competitors are doing. Um, running for me has always been about getting the most out of myself. But but yeah, you know, you do see what other people are doing, and you know, but you know, there's been so many times where I've seen one of my competitors or something who is doing, doing an insane workload stuff I'm not doing. And then I beat them on race day. And so to some extent, you know, I feel like I've kind of debunked that, you know, <laughs> in my, in my own experience, but you know, I am always, I, I do know that there's things that I can do better now than I did in the past, you know, and one of those things is nutrition. There's also training stuff. There's also, you know, just redefining why I run in the first place. Like I kind of talked about earlier and being better about managing my energy and stuff like that. And so, yeah, you know, I'm more focused on the things that I can control. All right. You mentioned before, and actually several times, you know, this long-term approach uh, that you've had with running and it certainly, paid off so well for you um i guess short term long term what are some of the things that you're looking forward to with some of the goals that you have and what are what does the the future hold for you that's a great question <laughs> and you know one that i don't have a great answer to um at the moment i mean if people who follow my story or know who i am i guess um, may know that I lost my sponsorship at the end of last year. And so, you know, running is not, you know, I'm not really making money at it the way that I was the last few years. And so, you know, I'm kind of getting through this year without a sponsor. Um, I'm going to run a marathon in the fall. I can't tell you which one yet, but I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, but my future in running is really up in the air. At this point, it's not something I can continue to pursue at the level I have been over the last few years um, without the financial support that I had enjoyed. And so, you know, I'm I'm in a period of having to evaluate and kind of guess <laughs> and wonder um, where I'm going to be this time next year. It's not a clear path right now. Well, you seem to be so level-headed so many, in so many of the ways that you've approached running in your life. So best of luck to you moving forward. I know everyone who's listening to this is excited to see what you've done, what you'll be able to do in the fall. Um, shoot, man, <laughs> your last few marathons have gone really well. So I, good luck in the future and, and then hopefully continued success. Thank you so much. All right, Noah, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. So many of you have, have uh, recommended Noah to be on the show, and I was made sure I reached out to him, and I was so glad we were able to put this together. This was a lot of fun. He's certainly a special athlete with a different journey, and I love talking the business side, too. As someone who's in kind of like the, the running business community, in a sense, I love hearing how people are approaching that in their own way, which is always a fun thing to do. Also, big shout out to the Richmond Marathon. I mean, right, the VCU Health Richmond Marathon uh, for sponsoring this and several episodes coming up. I love the people who run this, right? Sports backers. They run so many events. They run this event. They do such a good job. Last year, they did such a wonderful job of creating a race feel over a two-week span in a time where it was so hard to do in-person racing. And they really did it so well. And even before then, I had heard from you guys for years and how awesome the Richmond Marathon is. And if you're listening to this all the way to this part of the episode, um, I'm, I'm feel free to say it now. Like I, my plan is to hopefully get down to Richmond this fall to do something. Uh, maybe what, what will I be running? I don't know, but I do want to do something with the community. Maybe we'll do some live events and things like that. That is still potentially in the works, but that's the plan. That's what I want to do, and hopefully you will be there to join me. So more info on that in the coming weeks and months, but I figured I'd give you a little taste, little tidbit if you're listening this far in. Why not? So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. 
Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.